Since we last spoke, United got their revenge on Aston Villa in a cup comeback win before beating Fulham at the death to go into the international break three points off fourth place in the league, with a game in hand on their top four rivals, Tottenham. This week on Devils in the Details, Case and I discussed the two games that happened this week before going into a review of the season to date. case how's everything pretty good pretty good um i think we can't complain with the the rebound uh from what was a a pretty disappointing result in the league against villa last week so yeah i I have to say i think anytime you get an uh, an extra time winner um in in, in an important league match right right before a a big break i think that's a huge lift um so I, i i Cannot complain. Cannot complain. How, how are you feeling, Aaron? Yeah, that game was great. Um, and I mean, it's even more special that it was Alejandro Garnacho who got the winner, I feel like, because you could tell how much it meant to him. And it just, I think in a in a season where perhaps a lot of the results have been defined by a lack of maybe attacking spark, it's nice to see a young player emerge and perhaps show that he can offer something to the first team in a, in a time when United are short of options. So... Let's get straight into it. I it's it's been an interesting week for me, but long story short is uh, you're gonna need to give me a, a a full breakdown of what you thought of the Villa game. I've seen cuts of it, but I haven't seen the whole match. Sure. Yeah. So we, l- l- let's start with that. So uh, obviously Villa uh, in the cup last week after we lost to them in the league. Villa match starts off pretty slow. For those of you who watched, I'm, I'm sure you <laughs> felt the same way. There weren't a lot of openings. Um, Villa were playing sort of this mid-block uh, that, that left space in behind for United to run into, in particular because they weren't pressing very high, which sort of leaves, you know, Lisandro, uh, Malasia, um, Dallo, uh, your, other, your other players uh, deeper on, on the pitch in space to play balls in behind. The consequence on the other end, though, is that you don't have a lot of space to play between the lines. United tried to go over the top early in, in this cup match. Really didn't bear any fruit. Uh, so you went into halftime, nil-nil. Really, very little happened in the first half. Second half, the game was completely different. Six goals. Both of, Vill- of Villa's goals, uh, McTominay and Dallow played a pretty big role in. Just caught out positionally, kind of napping. And, and, and it left space for, for Villa to break into. The first goal was a counter. Um, McTominay sort of jumps uh, uh, ahead of where he should be. And then Dallow is caught out. Uh, and that leaves the back line isolated. They just play it into Watkins. Pretty simple goal. Uh, but it's something you can fix just by fixing your rest defense. Uh, making sure players know where to be um, when you have the ball. Uh, and, and I think, honestly, if you just put Casemiro in the game in this situation... Uh, you have less of a problem here. I don't think... McTominay, if you look at how the sequence starts for uh, Villa's first goal here, he is higher than he should be. Uh, and it's it's, a, it's something Casemiro was good at naturally. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just a, a consequence of rotation in, in that respect. And then it's it's a mental mistake from Dallow. He really has to be better there. Um, and it leaves Maguire isolated. Obviously, Maguire is... 
not in a good position to, to be beating Ollie Watkins for pace. Um, I.e. he cannot, uh, which obviously is a limitation of his, but ultimately I think you put Varane in this situation and it, it wouldn't be a good outcome either. You, you never want to let a striker be running on the shoulder of a center back unmarked. Uh, you you shouldn't be, no defender should be dealing with these situations uh, 1v1. It's, it's bad defending. Um, as for, we immediately equalize from actually a, a beautiful pass for Dallow, so he makes up for it. And, and Martial gets his goal. Well, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but every time he plays, he's brilliant. Martial appearances are few and far between this season, but I have to say, when he is on the pitch, he's, he's consistent. Uh, which he hasn't always been. So I think that's a that's a boost, something we can be positive about going into the break. Villa answer immediately after that. Their second goal is actually a pressing breakdown. So something we've been talking about for weeks, I think. And this was just another instance of the midfield and the back line not following the front line in the press properly. Malasia gets pulled narrow, which leaves uh, a big gap on uh, the left side of the pitch. They play past uh, Malasia, partially because McTominay is out of position, which uh, allows them to drive into our left side, their right side, uh, and then uh, McTominay and Lindelof uh, handle the handoff poorly, which lets Young cross, and then uh, Dallow makes multiple mistakes at the far post. Dallow really didn't cover himself in glory in this match defensively, but the good news was, uh, from there on out, it was all united. That same uh, weakness that we saw in the first half uh, where Villa were in this mid-block, minimal pressure on the def- on United's defenders, allowing them to play over the top. United exploited multiple times. Uh, in particular, Malasia, who was, I would say this was probably his best match in a United kit, played two great balls over the top. Uh, one of them fell for Rashford. He plays Eriksen. Uh, it sort of gets jumbled around. Rashford finishes it. Uh, another one that, we, that United didn't score, but... Really, a, a great performance from Malasi, I would say. And then um, Villa made a, a, a mistake playing out from the back, uh, where we were set up pretty well in the press. That's the third goal. And then, finally, Garnacho again. Gorgeous ball for McTominay, who was playing sort of as a, in, a, as in a center forward role uh, for the fourth. So, fun match. I wouldn't take away too much from this. Villa rotated pretty heavily, as did we. Really good to see the team fight back like that. And also just exploit, take advantage of what the opposition gives you, right? Uh, I think that's what good teams do. First, like that's the first thing you have to do. Obviously, you have to force errors, but before you can force errors, you have to be efficient with what they give you. And uh, Villa gave United opportunities in that match, and they they ultimately took them. So you have to be pretty happy with the performance. You touched upon a lot of really interesting topics there. Um, Let's start with McTominay, kind of. You talked about him making a few sort of positional errors, especially defensively. Um, and the bit of McTominay that I saw in this game was his goal, which I thought was great. And he seems to increasingly be playing in perhaps more attacking areas. And honestly, I wanted your thoughts on that because I personally think that he's not necessarily more suited to playing an attack, but I think he has a lot in his skill set that um, uh, that United's other attacking players might be lacking, especially in way of, you were talking about United playing over the top in this game. Uh, maybe if you're going to play over the top and try and go long to a striker, 
or an attacking player. McTominay is more that type of player than any of United's actual forwards. So I want to kind of know your thoughts on this about maybe McTominay further forward in comparison to in midfield. Yeah, so that's an, an interesting question. As for United playing over the top, I think this match is more a match where you'd want players like Martial and Rashford and Garnacho, players with pace, as opposed to uh, <clears throat> if Villa had been sitting deeper, their defensive line had been deeper, um, maybe you want McTominay in the match to play uh, to feet, right? To play over the top f- uh, for the sake of hold-up play or to flick the ball on. Those tall striker types are most useful uh, if you want to play long in f- for depth uh, as opposed to playing long to get behind the, de- the opposition defense. But regardless, um, yeah, I think there's, there's reason to believe he's more useful uh, up front than he is in defensive midfield. Yeah, I, I, especially since I, I think he, it was a poor performance from him while he was playing in midfield. And then uh, uh, an overwhelmingly positive one once he moved forward, especially in that Villa match. Um, not only did he score, he had a, he had a great uh, moment in the box where he, he trapped the ball, turned, and hit a wicked shot that hit the crossbar. Um, and I think we all know he has pretty good ball striking as, when it comes to shooting the ball. Um, so yeah, certainly, certainly possible that there's a role there for him. I wouldn't count on him moving forward as like a consistent goal scoring option, but uh, there's moments where you can use him there, certainly. Yeah, I think I agree. And I think we're, especially with Casemiro beginning to see kind of the gap between him and some of the top defensive midfielders in the division, but uh, I do think he has certain skills. It's possible that he could be useful in a in a role further forward. Another another thing you brought up was Martial. So Martial is clearly very important in possession, especially his ability on the ball. I think he's really good at linking attacks. We've talked about this. His ability to carry the ball kind of also helps Bruno a lot, I think, because it uh, it reduces the need for Bruno to be able to trap the ball a lot in central areas. But another thing you alluded to is the fact that Martial is actually getting a lot of chances on goal. He definitely had a lot of chances against Fulham, and regardless of how we put them away, I think in general we know Martial is a pretty good finisher, historically. So if he continues to get chances like that, you would back him to put them away. Do you think maybe he's showing signs of being able to create more shots for himself? Because that's the biggest issue we've both always had with Martial. Yeah, so I think... I would say against Villa in the cup, he didn't have a lot of chances. He had one huge chance, um, and he put it away. Uh, but it was functionally a tap-in. Um, the Fulham match was a lot more encouraging in that respect. He's always been a, a relatively uh, threatening player, running in behind when defensive lines are high. But what really encouraged me in that Fulham match is when Fulham did drop their defensive line deeper, his willingness to get between the center backs in a couple of instances, it created shots for himself, but more importantly, or as important, there were moments where he could have dropped into more space by staying away from the center backs, but instead he kept on pushing the defensive line deeper and it left space for United's other players to shoot. And so there's actually a really good example of this. If you watch the match, I'm sure a lot of you guys remember Erickson had a big chance on his left foot that he just sort of uh, sliced wide of the left post. Uh, and it was, a, it was a big chance to, to go to, to for a, a second goal. A, a 
underrated key component of that chance is Martial starts when he sees Bruno free on the right wing. He starts to he takes a step back, as in a step away from the opposition goal, because uh, and I think that's his natural tendency. It's to make himself an option, but he sees Ericsson behind him, and instead he steps back towards the goal, which drops Fulham's center backs further towards the goalposts and actually leaves Ericsson the space that he needed to get a shot off. And if Martial had done what he typically would do, I have to say I'm not convinced yet that he isn't going to do this again in the future, but if he had done what he typically does, he would have dropped back into that space, allowed Fulham's defensive line to come up with him, collapsed the space for both himself and for Ericsson, there would have been no chance. So I think that was massively encouraging. And again, he also got between the center backs, I think twice, um, for two big shots on goal. So, yeah, this was a really good, this Fulham match was a really good performance for Martial. Even better than, I would say, the Villa match. We looked way better, just in general, attacking in that match. Uh, and I, I do think he played a big part. Honestly, moving forward, I think as it stands, Martial is one of the most important players in the team for this season. Um, I'd, I'd say he is without the him. most important individual player in the team um, in terms of United's top four hopes. Uh, and it's it's as much because of him as it is because of the gap between him and the next best absolutely. option. Because like, I would say he, the other contender is Casemiro, um, and it's for the same reason. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, we we've both expressed and probably both retain doubts that he can be the long term starter. But I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that a key component to this season is going to be keeping him fit and deciding what matches he plays in because. I mean, he's probably going to get injured again if his record so far is anything to go by, but his all-round game is such a huge enabler for the rest of the system, and I also think it helps the players playing out wide, especially Rashford, when I think his movement can dovetail more naturally with a player like Martial than perhaps a player, even less so Ronaldo, but even someone like maybe Elanga or, or another player who sort of doesn't consistently play between the width of the boxes and also focuses a lot on sort of secondary runs and behind or it's partially the focal point thing and also partially Martial's ability to execute in possession. I think that's absolutely where I'm going with this because when Rashford, uh, in my opinion, is at his worst is when he feels the need to kind of drop deep and try and really drive the team forward in possession. That's not what his role should be. His role should be on the last line primarily, and then occasionally dribbling and creating um, at defenses. But when someone like Martial plays, I think his focus shifts a little bit more towards the running in behind and, and getting chances because someone else can drop in and execute in possession. Whereas when Ronaldo or Alanga play, Rashford becomes much more important to sort of get the ball up the pitch. Yeah. I agree. Um, I think a, a huge impact that Martial had in that Fulham match, I think you actually said this earlier, was uh, it, it allowed Bruno to be receiving the ball between the lines less frequently. Um, j- just because he Martial can receive the ball between the lines and then turn and maintain possession on his own, um, as opposed to having to play everything first time or recycle a ball. Um, which just, it allows you to gain territory much more easily. It allows you to move the ball up the pitch a lot faster. It allows you to connect transitions better. Uh, there's tons of benefits that flow from that. Uh, 
yeah, so so we'll see. If if Martial plays the way he played yesterday, uh, consistently going forward, I think there's actually an argument that he could be a long-term center-forward solution if he stays healthy uh, as the first-choice center-forward. I have a lot of doubts as to whether he will keep on doing the things he did yesterday. Um, but even if he doesn't, the stuff that he will keep on doing, which is what you were saying, that technical execution and possession, uh, makes him the best center forward on the team right now. Absolutely. I think at best you have sort of a Dalo situation where he might end up being a really good option, but you still probably need another striker because there's only one, right? Yeah. In in the case of Dalo, and I think we'll get onto this in a second with Malasia, he has become really important partially because he's very good, but also partially because there's not really any other options. And I think we've seen very clear intent for United to go search for a right back in the upcoming windows, even before a striker or a defensive midfielder, which I which I think is a mark of how Ten Hag sees the backup options for this position. Against Villa, Malasia started in Dalo's suspension. And I don't know. I I don't think he was poor. I think a lot of people made it seem like he was getting cooked. Willian's been dribbling 1v1 at fullbacks for years now in the Premier League. It's it's not exactly like a rudimentary test. And while I don't think he was poor or consistently on the back foot, I do think he looked uncomfortable at moments. I think his inability to use his right foot becomes a lot more obvious when you shift him to the other side. I know we talked about how he's probably better with his right foot than Shaw, but when the pass doesn't open up for him inside on his left foot, he can kind of stumble and he can also he clears inwards from the right side, which can cause problems when he doesn't get enough power on the clearance. And then the ball just goes straight to someone in a decent area, right? Just to be clear with that, if you're left footed playing at left back and you clear the ball with your left foot, it's very unlikely to go into the center of the pitch. Um, if you want it to go outward, does that make sense? Like angularly, if you're at left back, when, when Malassi is making clearances from right back, he's clearing with his left foot facing forward, and the ball is going towards the left. So if he doesn't get enough power on it, it's actually landing right in the middle at the feet of possibly an opposition right. player. So you mean to say, if your dominant foot is not to the touchline, the ball is more likely to uh, land in in the center of the pitch as opposed to down the touchline. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. And I think that was a, a, an issue for Malassi in this match. Uh, like I, ultimately I don't think he's a right back and I think this is just a makeshift solution. So I'm not sure ultimately how much it matters. Um, I agree. I don't think he got cooked the way people made it out to be. I, I rewatched the match and I, I only saw two, two spots where he actually got beaten one V one. Um, and one of them, he actually made a pretty good re- recovery tackle, uh, that conceded a corner as for the, the, the angles of possession. I agree. I think that's an even bigger problem than whatever angles he was getting wrong defensively. I felt uh, sort of an extension of the point you were making. I felt uh, in a lot of instances where Dallow would square down the line and either play diagonally uh, towards like Bruno or the center forward, or he would go down the line for a winger. Um, Malassi would instead turn back and because he's more comfortable on his left foot, go back to the goalkeeper or to the center back, which that's just, that is the problem with inverted fullbacks. And I don't mean inverted fullbacks the way Kyle Walker plays interiorly, uh, for Manchester City, or you mean Cancelo? I mean exactly. I mean more like Cancelo, who uh, is a right-footed player playing left back. Malassi, in this case, was a left-footed player playing right back. It, it just screws up your angles. It really doesn't work. Yeah, not not that Malassi isn't 
technically proficient, but Cancelo is Uniform. incredible yeah, technically. Yeah. And he can he can play his way out of situations that most right-footed players could not play their way out of. I think this happens a lot where you'll see City do something where a player plays in a sort of unique role and then you go, oh, could we do that? But I really think Ten Hag would have been watching this match thinking, we're getting a right back in January yeah. because we need one. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that, that's not to Malasia's detriment, just uh, just a comment. I mean, I, if anything, the fact that Malasia was chosen at right back means that he's actually well-liked. Yeah, I, I think this was a good week for Malasia in general, even, even with what I think was obviously not a good performance uh, right back against Fulham. I think the the positive of the Villa match, where if we hadn't scored so many goals, I would say he probably was the man of the match just be, from his overall impact onto the, on the game. Uh, because he was key. Like, he really, Rashford and Martial um, and Garnacho obviously uh, had huge impacts. And Bruno was actually really good in this match as well. But sort of if you had to simplify that match, I would say it was uh, an execution battle, which was Villa in their mid-block daring United's deeper players to beat them over the top. And Malasia was ultimately the player that beat them over the top. And that was key. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he's not a right back. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, I also don't think the player behind him helped that much. Um, yeah, I don't know. To me, I, I'm a bit confused as to why Lindelof is starting Premier League matches over Maguire. Um, I get that Varane is the ideal option. Personally, I um, didn't think this was a terrible match from Lindelof, though. I don't know. I'm Defensively, I don't think it was that bad. But in possession, I thought he killed a lot of moves. And yeah. I don't know. Lindelof has this sort of reputation as a player who's really an effective or a clean passer. And... To whatever extent that might be true, I think it also has to do with him being really conservative with his pass selection. And when he's tasked with making more um, more complicated passes than either sideways, straight in front of him, or over the top, he kind of stalls a little bit and then um, and then overcomplicates the pass. Or I don't know, his his execution isn't as flattering when. He has to make more complex passes. And I saw that a lot of times, like United would play their way through a sequence. It would go Lissandro to Shaw. Shaw would draw the defense out back to Lissandro over to Lindelof. Lindelof's in space. And that's the second, like the first touch has to break the line. And we've seen Varane try those and succeed those. We've seen Varane try those and fail those. But Lindelof was hesitating, I think at least three or four times I saw it to just make that pass and continue the move and United lost the ball as a result. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. But, but then ultimately going back to what you said, I think he was good out of possession in contrast to the league match against Villa the week before where I felt he was quite poor. I think it suited him though. Like I, I think Lindelof, you know, you can rely on against certain types of forwards like he's if you need him to engage physically and make decisions about when to about when to tackle I think that's when you can kind of get the better of him when you like to draw him out and go deep but he kind of played a pretty I think I don't know I don't think Carlos Vinicius is exactly the type of striker who you would pick to cause Lindelof problems like I think if it was Mitrovic or even if they had played someone sort of unorthodox up top I think that's when you can cause Lindelof problems but Vinicius is sort of like a typical number nine, not really a target man, not really a 
deep lying forward. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. That's an interesting insight. Hadn't really thought of it that way, but I, I take your point. So, so let me ask you this, Aaron. This was our best attacking performance in the league all season. Uh, we we put up, according to FB Ref, we put up two point five xG, which is uh, almost a full goal more than our previous high, a uh, full expected goal higher than our previous high. Um, which, first of all, that's a bad thing. We should be creating more chances, but this is a step in the right direction. Um, even though we were pretty open at the back, uh, especially later on in this match, uh, what do you think is the cause? Do you think it's just Martial? Uh, the, the, the overall impact Martial has over uh, the alternative, who is Ronaldo? Uh, or do you think there's something else here? What, what, what did you see? It's a couple things. So, firstly, I think it would be I think it's best to start with opposition. Um, Fulham had, I believe, more than half the possession in this game. And I, it felt to me like they had a lot of time in United's half. And the other teams United have played where that has been the case are were City, where they fell apart, um, Liverpool and Arsenal, which were also, I would say, two of the games where not necessarily the most attacking creation, but probably... United created high-quality chances. Um, and that has to do with the ability to get in behind them. And I also think Fulham are less imposing than those teams and lack the same level of execution ability in the final third. A lot of the players Fulham have are very good at capitalizing on transition opportunities, um, but not as good at sort of breaking down a defense. They, they just kind of lack the technical quality to really succeed at this level in tight areas. And I think what that meant was a lot of full in possession and then a lot of opportunity for United when they win the ball to break. Um, and I also think that that was kind of helped by being 1-0 up for a lot of it because that forced Fulham to attack if they wanted a result. Um, so I think a lot of those things played into United's hands a little bit there. In terms of the improvements, there were a few things. Um, number one, yes, Martial adds attacking fluidity. I think at this point you can put in a claim that he's probably a better goal scorer than Ronaldo. I, th- I think that I think he is. I I think having him there means Rashford doesn't have to play there, which makes Rashford better. And uh, against Villa, Rashford was pushed out to the right wing, which I thought was a really poor solution to uh, not having Anthony. Whereas in this game, Rashford was on the left wing and Alanga was on the right wing, which is also not a good solution, but it maintains your best current attacker in his preferred position. In my eyes, Rashford is currently the best fit attacker. Um, and so the configuration of that front line was better. I think the Garnacho substitution was valuable. When United were beginning to lose steam a little bit, I thought Garnacho injected it right back into the game. His willingness to engage 1v1, even if he isn't super proficient at senior level yet, which... That's not a reasonable expectation, but the fact that he engages 1v1 with a not horrible degree of success adds a lot to United. I don't think Sancho does that. Um, Rashford does that, but he was already playing. Martial can do that at times. Anthony has been mixed, I think, since joining. I think we believe he can do that, but he hasn't really been doing that. And he's also been out. So I think having that sort of level of drive and, and playing forward to engage the defense immediately and, and more directly while also playing a lot in transition and having um having the best players in their preferred positions all play to some extent a role in united being more dominant in this game yeah 
or, I, or ra- rather the more dominant, more creative. More creative, yeah. Yeah, because I wouldn't say it was a dominant performance, but what it was, was I mean, it's interesting. So you, you mentioned Fulham had a lot of the ball, which is true. I think they had like 53 or 54% possession. At least there was a graphic that said that towards the end of the game. Um, I wouldn't say we played on the break in this match, though, and I think you agree with me here. Um, not, not, not primarily, but I think there were more opportunities on the break than against Villa and West Ham, for example, which are the more recent matches. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, but I, I would still say most of our chances uh, we created in their half. Um, I, that is to say the move began with us in possession in their half, which I think is a positive thing. Fulham aren't a good team, I would say. They're in ninth, but their expected goal difference puts them as the fourth worst team in the league and certainly bad enough to go down. Uh, So what I would say is um, certainly uh, we benefited from the fact that Fulham were, were willing to play a little bit higher up the pitch. Um, but then I think there are some, some other key points. Uh, I felt there was a lot of, there was like varied threats on the last line. There were good runs being made by multiple different players, uh, which is always a good thing. And I, I felt we also did a much better job of uh, getting the mid, like the advanced midfielders, Erickson and Bruno involved in the final third. Um, something that uh, we've spoken about a lot has been the, the lack of numbers and that is to say just creating having more men than the opposition do in certain areas in the opposition uh, penalty area in the opposition final in the opposition third um, and that's something we saw more of in this match uh, which I think is really encouraging uh, and I think really there's two ways you can do that you can get your fullbacks forward or you can get your midfielders forward we saw the midfielders get forward I don't really care how they do it as long as they do it so that was a good thing to see and actually on that subject, uh, Bruno and Erickson were both really good in this game, um, especially Bruno. I think making good, incisive passes at the right opportunities is such a big thing for United. We've so many games I felt this season where United were maybe one or two passes away from creating a really good shot, but either the striker doesn't make the run, or you know the right pass isn't made, or or they take a shot too early. Um, and I thought the decisions were better in this game. And also the execution was fantastic. Like some of the passes Bruno was making were brilliant, like totally brilliant. Um, the other thing I say is um, about Fulham. They are in in isolation. I've watched a lot of them this season. I think they're just above relegation quality in the current league. Um, but I think there were factors in this game that made them sort of closer to a relegation level side than, um, a above relegation level side. And the main one is the fact that their style is generally around playing games very close, playing either level and trying to cancel out the opposition or playing, uh, ahead and trying to prevent the opposition from settling down in the game. Um, they played a, a high press at times in phases, but they also drop off a lot in phases. And that's based on their ability or, or their belief to win the ball. And they're essentially hedging of risk of what the risk of the press and the press failing is actually going to be. And when they go down a goal, they're forced to kind of take more risks and 
and and ch- and alter that balance a little bit in a way that doesn't really suit them because they don't have the attacking quality to take advantage of teams, um, but they also don't have the defensive quality to take care of risky situations. So while I think Fulham, they won't go down um, and they are above a relegation quality team, I think there were parts of this game that made them a little bit easier to play against, or at least should have in theory, uh, than they normally would have been. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, it really wasn't... Uh, didn't mean to, to hate on Fulham. I, I only meant that... Um, I think I think their position in the league table is slightly deceptive. Uh, like I, For sure. No, yeah, for sure. I, I don't think they're uh, an upper half side. You also mentioned Garnacho. I want to talk about Garnacho for a second, because uh, I think we're all pretty excited about this, right? Um, I think we all, as United fans, feel that we, there's a, a lack of attacking impetus in this side right now. Uh, we struggled to create chances. Uh, definitely a part of that is a, a lack of threat in 1v1 situations, uh, which I wouldn't say Garnacho is like showing himself to be an elite 1v1 player, but what he is showing is he's eager and willing. Um, which is good. It's important. And he, he has the physical, the physical, specifically the acceleration, to at least be a reasonably effective threat uh, in these situations. And then he's also showing what he showed at youth level. And th- this is, I think, key to who he could be as a player. If Garnacho is going to be starting quality for Manchester United, I think he has to have a lot of goals in his game, which is what he showed at youth level. Um He's a pretty direct runner, not just without the ball, not not just with the ball, but without the ball. And I think we saw with that goal uh, yesterday in 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 at a time. That's a goal he he scored a lot at youth level, um, sort of chasing down errant through balls, um, basically using his his physical tools and his his his. It, it, cognitive cognitive tools. It was a, it was an intelligent run that he made um, to make the the passers behind him more efficient. Which is to say, uh, I would say that ball from Erickson was speculative. It wasn't a bad pass, but um, a lot of players wouldn't get to it, and you wouldn't think much of the player not getting to it. Right? Like it could have been a different receiver. The ball would have gone out of play, and I don't think people would have been like, "Oh, he should have gotten to that." Garnacho really turned it on, got to that ball, turned what was otherwise sort of a nothing moment into a huge opportunity. I think that will be key to who he is as a player because I don't think you're going to... He played a great pass for McTominay uh, for the fourth goal against Villa in the Cup. That's not who he is. Um, and I, I'd be, it would be great to see him develop that part of his game and be a creative threat. But if he's going to be a starter for United at some point down the line... I think it will be because he makes himself a box threat um, using these tools as opposed to playing crazy 30-yard curling crosses, which is great and amazing. And I do not mean to take that pass away from him because if he can do it consistently, fair enough. Um, But I, I think I was excited to see a part of his game that was big at youth level show itself as productive at a senior level. 
Yeah, I agree. I, I think the matches I saw Garnacho in largely at youth level were ones where he was very high usage. And he largely did well at youth level, but my main maybe concern about those performances was the fact that uh, his methods of creation were not ones that I thought would clearly translate to first team level. It was largely a lot of being just having the burst to create space and then being able to do enough with that space that something happened. Uh, Whereas I think at senior level, you need one, you need even more burst to create space. And then two, you need elite decision-making to capitalize upon that space because it doesn't last as long as it does at youth level. And I was worried about that last part of his game, maybe in terms of how he translated to first team level, but you were worried about the decision making or you were worried about the physical translation, transition, translation. I think the physical translation is less valuable without the decision making. I agree. But so, but which one were you more concerned? Were you concerned about both? Is that what you're saying? Or are you saying, I think, no, I think I, I believe that he could have to some extent, a very good one V one ability at senior level. Um, or, or at least good 1v1 ability. But what I was concerned about was um, good 1v1 ability at senior level creates less space than good 1v1 ability at youth level. Yeah. And you have to be very proficient at attacking that space when it comes up. Um, and, uh, and I was concerned about whether he would be able to do that enough to actually be like a proficient uh, goal creator or scorer. At I would level. say I am and still I think, worried about that. I, 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 yeah, I, so yeah. I still am. But I think like what has changed is I think if he can become a reliable goal scorer at first team level, it becomes less important for him to be a very good creator. It's all about the trade-offs. And I think having this ability to score goals might serve him well um, in the first team, especially in a team that I think is right now struggling more for people to put the ball in the back of the net than people to create the chance. Yeah, I agree with that. We have to be happy with what he's shown in general. He's all yeah. He's also super young. Like I, I don't yeah, like using is. the he's very young argument because it implies that you're going to see significant change in the time uh, between when they're young and when they're fully developed, which it doesn't always happen. And there needs to be a clear roadmap for how that change is actually going to occur. But in this case, he's so young that it's almost like he we're still not even seeing the full, I think, product of what he is now translated to senior level. Um, And the player you're going to figure out where and how you need to work with is one that I think we'll be seeing in a few months when he's really actually played a solid body of games at this level. 18 year olds are still like he could he could still like grow there's weird things could happen to him he's i think there's a huge difference between an 18 year old and even like a 20 year old um so totally agree there um i want to go back to really quick i want to go back to the decision making point you made uh my big concern with him now that we can tell he's at least going to be a good uh he's gonna measure up physically uh to to professional football is the decision-making. And like, like you said, he's really, really young. But I would also say his decision-making is very, very poor at this point. And 
I wouldn't usually harp on this, but we've seen this in a lot of youth forwards for United. I think anytime you're, you're teaching kids how to play football, uh, you're naturally going to teach them different things to do, right? Shoot in this situation, cross here. Any given coach has certain ideas about where goals come from. Uh, and I think United's youth team coaches have um, sort of a liberal idea of where goals come from. And that is to say, um, shoot early and often. Uh, they let the players make their own decisions in, 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 in these instances. Um, I, I think it's not really a pass-first pass first environment, United's youth setup in general. Um, and I think we see a lot of United forwards come up through the youth system uh, with bad decision-making. And in recent years, that's been really problematic because there hasn't been sort of the nurturing environment that you would want to see that gets that out of them at senior level. Um, and so that, that's why I would say, like, we've been talking all year about how frustrating the decision-making has been in the final third. I think a big part of that Take, for example, Rashford. I still think Rashford, he's what? He's 24 now? Do I have that right? Um, I think Rashford, 20, is he 25? So seven years since he, he debuted. I would say he still hasn't really gotten rid of some of the bad decision-making tendencies he has. And it's the number one thing that holds him back from being like an elite player. Um, so coming back to Garnacho, that will be the key thing I'll be looking at. Um... And he's got time to figure it out, but I think that's another sort of benchmark for this new regime, this new coaching staff, whether these lessons get taught early um, rather than sort of letting a young kid come in and just have his impact uh, in this sort of open environment where we need goals, we need somebody to do something, just Garnacho, go do something, rather than nurturing him as a player and sort of smoothing off the smoothing out those rough edges because decision making is a huge thing it's not like a oh he's so talented but his decision making is a small weakness decision making is ultimately the thing that separates elite players from good players like i think this is a huge 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 thing uh so he's got time but i'll be keeping an eye on that i think he was rewarded in in his goal for passing to Shaw, um, which is which is a good sign because I think often you would see, um, and I think we have seen him drive at the first man when he shouldn't have and lose the ball, um, and I don't know I I I agree with you pretty much I I think in terms of the youth academy it's a mix of sort of a lack of deliberate decision making or pattern-based coaching in the final third at youth level and also uh, I think a problem that results when players have large physical advantages at youth level that compensate for their development in certain technical areas the the first player I always think of with this is Paul Pogba because he's the most gifted technical player one of the most gifted technical players I've ever seen but when he's receiving from the center backs with his back to the opposition goal under pressure he tries to hold up the ball like a striker because I'm pretty sure at youth level physically, he could hold them off like a striker turn and play a huge diagonal pass. Um, and what ends up happening is they don't develop skills that 
will serve them when they play in more difficult environments where there's less space, more pressure. I'm pretty sure most teams in the... I mean, I, I don't have much evidence for this claim, but I would claim that most teams in the youth Premier League divisions don't coach a high-level press. I don't think most teams in the top five leagues have a high-level press, but in the Premier League, I think almost half the Premier League, if not more at this point, has a pretty good high press or uh, or out-of-possession scheme to win the ball back. And that largely, like, that massively changes how forwards and midfielders have to play in possession and how good they have to be. And so adjusting to that level can also be really hard. And when you combine that with a lack of sort of, I think in academies like Ajax and Lamazia and Cobham, they have this idea of when the players are going into the senior team, they need to be able to do this. When they go out on loan, they're going to have this challenge that they did not have when they were in our setup. And they plan for that in advance. And that's obviously the ideal. Um, But it's also one of those things that's hard to foresee when you're not actually seeing those challenges at that level. It takes someone who has foresight about where the issues are going to occur later on to then come in and intervene and fix them. I think at that point, we'll take a break and then we'll be back for a season review. Welcome back. It's time to review the season. Despite us talking about Canada's future World Cup triumph off camera, on camera we're still talking about United for another 20 minutes or so. Just an overview of the season, I guess. Um, Yesterday I tweeted that I think if you offered me United's current point tally after 14 games, three points off top four with a game in hand, unlucky in the Europa League, I would say, and not out of the EFL Cup, and not out of the Europa League either, for that matter. Um, I think I would have taken that at this point in the season. Case, what about you? Yeah, I think this is like a very good outcome uh, to be going into the World Cup. Basically, I mean, we're three points off top four and our next match is not even for us. Um, uh, that's a really good situation to be in, in my opinion, uh, at any point in the season. Uh, and And the fact that we've made it all the way to what's like a, an informal halfway point or a little bit before halfway. Um, I'm very, very happy with where we are, even though obviously there are things that need to change. Okay. So we, we agree we're in a good spot here. Uh, how about the performances? Are you happy with the performances at this point in the season? Relative to expectation. Yes, I think. Um, I, I still think maybe what's both promising and worrying is, Oh, no, not worrying, but maybe both promising and slightly underwhelming is that I think we're still quite a bit away from seeing Ten Hag football. Like, I think we're seeing it in aspects. I think we're seeing it in pieces and in phases of games, but not as a whole. And I look forward to that. You know, it's it's not like we're playing like a top football team, which is the eventual goal. Um, but I think the key is that tactically and technically United are back to being competitive. Um, and I think being competitive and having good players will get you very, very far, uh, in, in most leagues and yeah, the pressing is much better. The out of, out of possession is way, way, way better than last season. Like it's not even comparable. Um, the attack is blunt. 
but I don't think relative to the players who are getting on the pitch, it has been unproductive. Um, And I think we've seen signs that certain players whose careers were maybe fizzling out a little bit are now doing really well, um, particularly Rashford and Martial. Yeah, so overall, I think there's a lot of reason to be happy and also winning a lot of big games. Like the big six record, United played all five of the big six in, in already. I think they're the only team uh, in the big six who have done that. So they won three, drew one and lost one. Is and the right? draw was away. So, and the loss was away. Yeah, it was, a, way to it was a pretty bad loss, but the loss was away at least. Um, so yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... On the whole, I'd like to see us die. Like, the goal, the thing that needs to change for me is um, we just need to consistently dominate these small teams. Um, and, and and I think the real change in that respect is uh, creating more chances. I think that's the big thing the rest of the season. If you look now, we are uh, the eighth best team in the league on expected goal difference, which that doesn't reflect very positively on us, but then if you contextualize it a little bit more, A, we've consistently gotten better over the course of the season. The trend is upwards. Uh, B, there's two big results that skew that. There's the City match where we got smoked, and there's the Brentford match where we got smoked. But it's really, uh, like, that's like 90 minutes of football, 135 minutes of football where we were really, really, really poor um, in the rest of the season, I would say we were at least as good as our opposition, um, match to match. So I, I think that's, um, deceptive. And I think we'll see that improve if we see the chance creation on the same level we saw yesterday against Fulham. Interesting, or maybe sort of nerdy, boring data guy bit here, but in level game state, United are actually the third best team in the league. So under Solskjaer, United were, in the first two seasons, roughly the fourth best team in the league on expected goal difference. Um, And one of the big factors behind that was United would go behind and then have a really positive expected goal differential when they were in losing positions, which I think a lot of people lauded that for being a very good sign of team morale and i agree but it's also uh, a very big sign of being unable to create when incentives are even in a game when united go behind they have more incentive to take risk and then can create by adding risk but that doesn't actually make them an effective team at competing over a season and when you go behind you know 10 times in the first 19 games that makes a big difference in the final outcome of your XG if you're better at playing from behind. But this season, United have actually been quite poor after going behind. So what you're seeing is when United are level and the game starts even, they're well better than their current league standing in terms of expected goals and expected goal difference, which I think is a sign that United are able to take games in their initial state and actually play them um instead of relying on sort of other factors so even though the expected goal difference is low i'm not actually that worried and also also even more than that i don't know if united how many penalties have united had in the premier league this season isn't that funny all those penalties i think we had like more than 20 penalties across two seasons the first two seasons under Solskjaer. it's luck but it's also that martial played every week 
The thing I, is, Martial I, I only drew on two of those 20-something penalties. I've, I've looked into this. Martial really Wait, did no not way. draw. Yep. Martial really did not draw many penalties at all. Um, I didn't know Yeah, that. we only have one penalty this season, by the way. Yeah, if you look at... A lot of those penalties are drawn by players. Like, Brandon Williams had two. Um, Maguire had one. Uh, I'm trying to think. It, it's The list is really weird. It's not what you think it is. Rashford actually had a lot. I think Rashford had like four or five. But it's... You, you'd think if you look back at that list of, oh, all those penalties we won, you'd be like, oh, well, it's the players. And, like, to an extent, I will cede that point. But if you look at the list of players who were winning those penalties, the oh, by and large, it's, like, players who definitely are not better than league average at winning penalties. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe, well, I'll put this, probably... maybe I'll pop this up on Twitter just for people to look at. Because I looked at it a few years ago when this was a big talking point. Um You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. There's, I think there's a lot of luck in this. Um, but yeah, go ahead. Well, I think Martial won a lot of penalties in Europe is what it must have been. I know he won penalties against, like, in that Europa League and Champions League run, like, against, I think it was Leipzig, PSG, Copenhagen, and a couple others. But anyway. Yeah, I was just looking at point league numbers, is, so could be. A fun XG number for you is that United are actually below their expected goal difference so far this season. Their expected goal difference is 1.5. And their actual goal difference is zero. So they're fifth in the table and below their expected goal difference, despite their expected goal difference saying that they would be eighth. So, I mean, I guess there's a sign that other teams are potentially overperforming by more. I haven't actually looked into that. I, I think it's more a sign that we're... Um, it's a sign that United are getting battered in a few games. Yes, and exactly. largely fine. Uh, but but also, it speaks to what you were saying, uh, which is we're, we're good in these even game states which means you're going to uh, more efficiently collect points. Uh, but what it also means is we're probably getting a little lucky turning drawing situations into winning situations. I think you can point out a couple of matches, the Leicester match, uh, the Southampton match, uh, this past match against Fulham, where we very easily could have drawn those matches. The Fulham match less to a lesser extent because we definitely outcreated Fulham, but we gave up enough chances that you could easily, the, the outcome was variable enough that you could have lost or, or drawn the match. Yeah, I think a key point in sort of our outperforming, or really underperforming XG, but also outperforming from a points perspective uh, would be that, would be the sort of game state manipulation and a little bit of uh, positive, positive variance, luck, whatever you want to call it. The low expected goal difference, well, and we'll move to the next topic in a second, goes down to two things mainly, in my opinion. Number one being the game state issue. Um, and number two, so yeah, the game state issue being you know to get battered in the small, in, in, in losing situations. And um, they're much better in drawing situations than they were before. And the other factor being um, the creative ability of players. So killing off games when you're up a goal, actually creating two to three goals in a given match that you are better than the opposition and control the game, but don't actually create chances. Um, and to add on to that, United have won two games this season by more than one goal, and they were against Arsenal and Tottenham. United have only lost one game by one goal. Every other game they've lost by two or more that they've lost. Pretty big sign. And I don't think there were that many 3-2 wins in there either. 
So most of these wins have been 2-1 or 1-0. The only game we won 3-2 was against Ammonia in the EL. Every other win was 2-1 or 1-0, correct. Anyway, the point is, United are winning by small margins and losing by big margins, and they are also not potent in attacking areas. So I don't think United's actual performance level uh, on a tactical level is reflected properly in the XG. But more importantly, I think when, if when United improve those aspects, I think there is a high potential to increase that expected very quickly so i'm not that yeah. worried at this stage I, li, I the way i would i think i agree with you i'm going to put it in different phrasing united only have to make small tactical advances to make huge advances in their shot metrics which ultimately have a really large bearing on whether you win games consistently you agree yeah okay um i think it may be so that's about united in isolation I think what maybe is even more interesting is United in comparison to some of the other teams because we've had a few disappointing teams this season and maybe one or two teams that have surprised with how good they are. At the start of the season, we both said that United would probably finish sixth. I'm starting to feel a little bit more optimistic than that. Are you? I'm going to beat you to it just so you can't say it for me. I think we're going to finish fourth. I think we're going to get Champions League. Who's going to get third? <laughs> um, well, yeah, maybe maybe we'll get third. I I mean to say, I think we will finish no, top four. No, I don't four. mean that United are going to get third. No, no, yeah, I know. I, 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 who's going to finish above us other than <laughs> Arsenal and City? I take your question, but um, I think we will finish in Champions League spots. Um, I get, I'm more asking, like, who do you think are the biggest threats? Ah, uh, okay. Um, stage? I think Liverpool or Tottenham could do it. I honestly, I think all four. Well, I all three of the teams could still finish above United, as well as Newcastle. Newcastle are legit. I'm putting that on record i think they are legitimately a top four contender i don't know how they've become this good this quickly i don't actually think their squad is top four level but they're outplaying good teams they are putting up the shot metrics they are putting up the points um their key players are among and if they can keep those guys fit they can totally finish in the top four if as well as if Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea, and United keep slipping. Um, I think it's totally on for them. So that makes it more difficult in a way, but I think also all of these teams are weaker than I thought they would be. Spurs are 50-50 in a lot of games. Chelsea seem like they're in disarray. Um, I think Potter's a really good manager, but I think he's showing what we've known for a while, which is no one can actually fix the existing Chelsea. And yeah, Liverpool are a bit variable. I think it'll depend on... They it, it'll depend on a little bit on January activity because I think they're one or two plugs away from being a really good side again, and it'll also depend on their ability to keep those key players playing in the biggest games. And by key players, I mean Sala, Thiago, Fabinho, the fullbacks, and Van Dyke, and Allison, I guess. So if they can keep that core and then plug in some of the gaps, like I think midfields become a clear weakness. Um, I think they could probably go on a big run in the second half of the season. And they're actually not as many points off as I thought they were. Like, But yeah, so where, where do you think we're finishing? I... Let's say fourth. With the caveat that Barcelona knock us out of the Europa League. Hmm, interesting. Could, yeah, I see, I see the point there. Okay. 
So, so we're we're what fourteen matches into the season, and Aaron and I are significantly more optimistic than we were. I think that's all for Devils in the Details for this week and for this month, I guess. Um, we're going to have some stuff planned during the World Cup, whether it's specifically United-related or more World Cup-related. Probably remains to be seen, but yeah, we're both really looking forward to it. So I'm sure it'll reflect in what we decide to upload for the next few weeks. So stay tuned and enjoy the start of it. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.